when you're being told there's nothing happening, there's shitloads happening. <laughs> Hola chicos and chiquettes. Hey everybody, it's Todd Conklin. Welcome to the Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. I am as surprisingly and quite amazingly happy you're here with me hanging out. This is cool. I'm glad you showed up. I didn't think anyone would come today. Lack of confidence on my part. No, you know, it's uh, at least in North America, it's midsummer. So uh, it's, uh, and the world is changing and COVID's uh, spiking again, at least for us a little bit. And yeah, it's just, there's a lot of things you'd rather do than just hang out, uh, and think about work stuff. At least that's where I am. I don't know if you're that way or not. Today's fun. Today's going to be a great podcast. It's a, it's a, you know, it's the perfect midsummer podcast and it involves, uh, is it trickery? Is it a trap? Maybe tra- trapping is tricking, isn't it? I think it is. I think it might be. Uh, nonetheless, Brent Sutton called me, wanted to talk to me about an idea that they were working on. Uh, and I'm always interested because, you know, that's fun. And Brent Sutton's really fun. His accent alone is worth talking to him. And uh, as we got into the conversation, it became really clear that this would be something you might be interested in as well. And so I was able to just, uh, I asked him, it wasn't a, a trick or anything, but I was able to engage the recording equipment and uh, record our conversation and uh, share it with you. And I think you'll like it a lot. It's really about, today's about the idea of learning. We talk about that a lot, so that's not terribly novel for us. But we're starting, as we understand more about operational learning, learning from typical work, we're starting to understand that learning can be sort of a blunt force tool. Um, And that the idea of using it strategically or or surgically maybe is even a better word, is probably an important thing for us to be exploring. And that's kind of what Brent and his guys um, started looking at. And they started looking at it in in really only the way they can, in a really unique way. And I like the idea that we're now convincing our organizations the importance of learning, which took a long time and many uh, injuries and tremendous amounts of heavy lifting it was no easy feat so uh be proud of what you've done and it probably makes sense then that once you get them to be sold on the idea that learning makes them smarter which is duh of course it does that eventually you're going to have to think about how you learn and so maybe this conversation in a very positive way is a uh, is a milestone to change operationally around the globe just saying that, I mean, I might as well be positive. It's just as easy to be positive as it is to be negative. And uh, it seems more fun to be positive. But I think it's kind of interesting that now organizations are saying, okay, we think learning's good. Help us get better at knowing when to learn and how to learn and where to learn. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about. In fact, I think I'm going to call this podcast, if I remember to do this, because you always have to title them later. But I think I'm going to call this, Where is Sea Level? Because uh, Brent's going to talk a little bit about this notion of the iceberg model, which is a little bit trite and uh, remarkably overused. In fact, you, most presentations you go to, it's a pretty good bet you're going to see an iceberg somewhere. I mean, why not, right? But I like the fact that they're not going to talk much about the iceberg. I mean, that's 
That's where learning happens. They're going to talk about where the lines are and how icebergs look different. This, this idea of how to learn surgically learning, when to learn, you know, understanding interventions and timing, and then um, uh, uh, most importantly, what we do with that learning, how we trend it, how we track it. That's, uh, that really does approach this idea of learning as a blunt force tool. This was a really interesting conversation. I'm, you're probably kind of a little bit peaked, P-I-Q-U-E-D, as we speak now. Because, uh, and, and you can kind of tell, that's why I thought, oh, well, maybe I should podcast this. Because this is a whole, this, this was not what I was thinking for mid-July on the pod. Let's just put it that way. That, that this was not on the schedule. But that's fine. Because the schedule's, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with changing the schedule. In fact, there's only good things with changing the schedule. As for me, um, wow, what can I say? Um, it's. The the e-bike gang is getting better. I don't know if you know this, but Ivan Papaliti has an e-bike. Krista Vessel e-bike. Suddenly there's there's a whole bunch of us e-biking. And I am I could not be happier about it. Uh, I'm glad everybody's doing it. And they're doing it better and faster and quicker. And it's we're having a good time here. I don't know if you guys want to come and ride with us, but you can. We're always available for a bike ride. And I've started taking bike riding meetings. So this is even getting better, where we talk about meeting stuff, work stuff, while zooming around on our bicycle. What do you think about that? Does that sound appealing? Does it? Remember, you guys, there are two kinds of bike riders. People who dress to ride a bike. You know those people, the spandex cats. And people who dress to have lunch. Guess which type of bike rider I am. I'm, I'm on the lunch side. So when I take a bike ride, we're going to go to a destination. The destination's probably going to involve lunch. And then we're going to have to ride back from the destination. That's how I formulate my trips. I'm a simple man with simple needs who uh, constantly is running psychological experiments on himself. That is me. That is, that, that is the definition of what I do. Let's not put much further ado and get into this conversation because I'm kind of excited for you to hear this. What I'm really excited about is to hear your feedback. So think about what's going on. Think about learning. That's for sure. That's going to happen. And think about what you uh, what you get out of this discussion intellectually. What are you thinking now since you've heard Brent and I kind of kick these ideas around a little bit out loud? I'd be really curious what that means. So, And also, if you've got some ideas for podcasts that I'm missing because I'm starting to get some really great feedback from you guys of stuff I'm missing. And I absolutely am missing stuff because it's just me. I'm just making, you know, I'm just like, oh, that's interesting. Let's go with that. If if I'm missing something that's really a, a paramount piece of information that we need to cover, let's talk about it. Give me a, a, a email. Drop me a line. That would be great. Tell your friends. Keep listening. Subscribe. Do all those things. Um, thank you for being a part of the podcast. And let's, without further ado... Spend some time with Brent Sutton, our Kiwi friend, and talk about this idea of learning as a blunt force tool and understanding what that means operationally as we move forward. Here is the conversation. I am in a national park forest wow. working with 20 engineers at a wood pulp plant. How fun and is a, that? It's a nice minus two. <laughs> it looks fun to me. It looks like a beautiful hotel room, if you if you ask me. Uh, it's it's like a lodge. They're like little chalets. 
Oh, you fancy people with your chalets. Oh, yes. And, and uh, the township got, oh, it's a tiny township. And, and I laugh. Um, it's got two fish and chip shops. One says the number one fish and chip shop now, Kearney. The other says says nearly number one. That's perfect. They are. They're they're definitely nearly number one. That's a, that's a very. I would go to the nearly number one one just to draw some comparison. Yeah, I'd, I'd hate to know who's number three. So yeah, well, you don't want to know. That's for sure. So how's life going post pandemic for you guys? Uh, it's like normal. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, look. Um, you know, Brent Robinson was out last week. He was out for two weeks. So that was the first time we all got together for fifteen months. I'm going to Melbourne in August to catch up with Deirdre and a few other people. Um, yeah, we're just getting on with it, Todd. So, so would you say you're truly in kind of post-pan... Well, because Australia's locked down again, aren't they? Only certain states. Oh, okay. So we, we've reopened We've reopened travel to Victoria, um, Adelaide, a few other states. So, so we, we're just living with COVID, if that makes sense. Yeah, kind of. I mean, because even when I said post-COVID... I wondered if that was accurate. That doesn't feel like the right thing to say. Um, so, so Australia is moving to a plan based on vaccination rates. So forget herd immunity. Australia's moving to a plan uh, based around managing COVID like the flu. How's this changed safety? Uh that's a good, that's a really good. I'm really proud of that question. Can you can you tell yeah, by that look on my face how how gratified sure. I am that I thought of that? I don't think it's physically changed safety as such because those people that are so strongly opinionated about systems can't change. Whoa, you took that to kind of a cynical place. Yeah, Be, Mister Beaten Down by the Man. Yeah, I think. Um, Organizations have also looked at the opportunity around COVID-19 recovery. And I think all the corporates I talk to, there there is zero interest in transformation projects. Why do you think why do you think that I agree with you and I wonder why that is? Is is it a desperate well, need to go back to what was once there? No. No, what 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 they're really keen on doing is how to freaking optimize and get more with what they've got. So they're, so they're still aligned towards efficiency, optimizing efficiency. But the problem is we have closed our borders to immigrant workers. We've got our lowest production rate of wine ever. Which is a big deal for you guys in New Zealand. Yeah, well, it just means the price of wine will increase because the demand for wine has actually gone up. Um, butter has gone up in price. We can't get people to pick. So we've had our worst season of kiwi fruit ever um, because we were reliant on cheap labor, sure. flying in cheap labor. Because we don't need to build, build a wall because we've got a, a bit of ocean. Um, <laughs> so, we were, so we were flying in cheap labor and then shipping them back out. Do you see companies hesitant to learn? Kind of in the Andrew Hopkins nation of no, failure to learn. No, no, no I don't. I, I, I think what they're trying to work out is how to learn. And there is certainly a desire here about better engagement. So let me push you on that a little bit because sure. so I, I think so I'm interested and I think I agree with you. So that's even better. But 
is there a difference between so so is one prepotent to the other? Do you have to know how to learn before you can learn? So if, so an organization's failure to learn could just as much be a function of they don't know how to learn. Yeah, well, the, the, correct because how they've been told to learn in the past doesn't work really well in this new COVID world. Well, so so walk me through how they've been told to learn in the past. I find that interesting. It's, we we agree it's wrong, but what's wrong about it? Oh, I, I think in terms of safety, it goes back to there's been a poor appreciation that safety um, can be seen as an opportunity, not a threat. Right. I, yeah, I agree. I don't uh, think people get that at all. So, so I've been working with a, a company called um, Bremworth. They make carpets, and they've gone pure to wool carpets. They've dropped making any synthetic carpets. And their lean people treat anything in the red as an opportunity. Right. And they treat anything in the, they treat anything in the green as a threat. Okay, so embrace the red, fear the green. Correct. Nice. The safety people are going, what the? Yeah, exactly. What the crap? That's not the way it works. Let's oppress the brothers, <laughs> and, and life will be good. And and it's really interesting that organisations are now asking the question: Why why does this divide exist across our systems? Right. When we should be unified. Right. And where the fuck did these safety guys get this idea that green is good and red is bad? Yeah. No, that's a fair. That's actually. A super fair question. I mean, I've always kind of assumed it was laziness, right? Green means you don't have to well, do no, anything. Production is king now. Production is king. Safety is no longer number one. Production is king. So, to, but to be fair, production's always how we've kept score. So it's it's always had a it's always had a it's always been above every other metric because it's the metric by which we use to keep score. I mean, we keep score in production numbers. Sure, but it becomes more important when you got when you got really bad uh, labor shortages. Yeah, I'm sure that amplifies everything, I and mean, we're seeing it as well here. And it's interesting. Yeah, so we're we talking inter- about an unemployment rate of under five percent. Yeah, you guys are amazing. And it's interesting to me if we think about it that we're almost it's it's almost as if we're blaming the workers for not working. It's uh, it's kind of the old um uh like you know you make safety better by controlling workers better. Sure. I think here we've just got this fundamental issue, uh, labour shortage, trying to um, uh, uh, generate more income, create more export opportunities, all those things, they don't go well. Um, as a country, we've had a decade of focusing on what we call the digital divide, right? Uh, which means that people don't want to pick fruit anymore or, 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 or do menial tasks. Right. They see it below them. Right. And so what's happening at the moment, I'm involved in a couple of projects where we're trying to automate everything. Right. Because we can't find the people. So they're spending millions of dollars to automate functions. Do you think they make machines that'll make hotel hotel room beds? Because <laughs> when they make a machine that knows how to make a bed, I think oh, we've, yeah, we've yeah. done there's, it. There's, we've, there's all sorts of stuff. Um, but then they've seen the downside of automation. Yeah. And, and I'm at the moment, I've got six cases where harms happen from automation. Right. And I've got a couple of cases where uh, i got, I got one at the moment, uh, this crowd, they export kiwi fruit. Um, and they built this new lights out warehouse with a special racking system. 
um, the floor sunk eight millimeters right. in the last year. Right. Now, the racks are so close, you can't get a conventional picker in there because it was all robotic. They built the racking and then built and wrapped the building around it. Right. There's $50 million worth of kiwi fruit in there that can't come out. Well, and that's that optimization towards efficiency. And, and, it, and I think it introduces the idea that automation provides a whole new set of threat. There's a whole new set of risk. I mean, we'll, we'll never not have a job. Oh, which I'm not, which, this part. which I'm not sure is a good thing to say or a bad thing to say. Yeah. So, so what's yeah. what's getting you up in the morning? What's keeping you going? What 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 well, keeps you motivated? At the moment, this this stuff I'm doing around learning from everyday work is super exciting. But but let's let me push that a little because I'm curious because what you're really doing is helping companies learn how to learn from everyday work. Fair enough. Because uh, if it's prepotent that they have to know how to learn first, I actually think that's a really profound thing you said. And I never say that to you, Brent. Sure. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, and, and, and I think what's happening is that organizations, um, once something happens, what was deemed to be a weak signal or something that was underlying, blipping right. along, right. suddenly becomes strong. And we're going back to them and saying, you know, the fact is those signals are always there. You just weren't looking for them because there was a whole lot of noise around it. Right. So how do you understand the noise? And your current construct of how you do that can't function because it's based on an intervention model. Right. Wait for something bad to happen and then intervene. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well, even safety observations are based on intervention. Yeah, totally. In fact, it's a very well surveys. So, sur- I mean, but safety any, surveys like are a gigantic yeah. intervention. And what I wanted to sort of share with you or show you was our mad thoughts and ideas, so that so that you could provide some uh, brutal feedback. Some you need that's brutalness. You, you well, I, I, I mean, I, I need feedback that's actually relevant and and. <laughs> Not, hey, that looks really, that's a lovely color. (laughs) That triangle. Man, you do good things with triangles. The issue that we're seeing at the moment is about, you know, when is the best time to learn? And it's a really important thing because how to learn is one thing, but when is the best time to learn is is a whole different conversation. And I've dragged back in the, the, the lovely iceberg. (laughs) <laughs> and and at, at the moment, most learning is happening above the line. Okay, and that, that hasn't changed. And organizations are using a whole lot of intervention tools to try and understand what sits below the line. And, um, but I always ask this question, Todd, which of those tools tells you how big the mass of the iceberg is? Yeah, I mean, that's a good, that's a good question. Yeah, and the answer is none of them. Yeah. So those tools are simply chipping away at the iceberg. They're not telling you what the mass is. Therefore, your risk management risk management is fundamentally flawed, because the concept of risk is, under, is you know you have to understand its context, its its purpose. So we're not seeing that. So we've got this crazed idea, leading on from Eric's work. Right. Is that, and, and by the way, there's very little difference between Eric's 
circles of everyday work versus Heinrich's pyramid, but that's a whole different conversation. And, and, it is, and they are, they're very different, aren't they? Yeah. One's inclusive and collective and one, and one's is yeah. exclusive and, and non-collective. Yeah. But the everyday stuff is the stuff that sits below the line. And what we're looking at is that the stuff that sits above the line should be led by the organization because they're the owner of it. But the stuff that's below the waterline needs to be led by the workers, needs to be led by the people who are the experts in it, and they understand it. And they're the only people that can tell you what the friggin' iceberg looks like. So, so let me let me push you because I think this is good. Sure. But what is it that determines the line? Is it your place in the uh, organization? Because because what you just said tells me that the above the line for the organization, and this is going to be really obvious, so don't get too excited, sure. is clearly different than the above the line for the workers. So the iceberg changes the the ocean. Lo- the sea level. What do you call the line on an iceberg? The line is what I guess what we uh, call it. Sea level. Sea level yeah. changes depending on where you are in the organization. So the iceberg changes depending on where you are in the organization. Is that yeah or on fair? your journey? I, I, but I will also say everything below the line is the weak signal. Right. Everything above the line is a strong signal. Well, Edgar Schein talks about everything below the line is being non-observable. Yes, I, I, no, I, I wouldn't disagree, but we try to observe it. Right. Well, I mean, the, the, what Shine's, Shine's point is that the organization's actions are indicative of what's going on below the line. Yeah. So, so the stuff that we're working on is how do we make that worker led and the organization supports so that it can't, so that's not an intervention. Because everything above the line is an intervention. Right. And I, I agree with you on that. I, I think that's actually a powerful statement. And, and that should resonate pretty well with organizational leadership. They should understand yeah. that if they're waiting for the intervention, um, they're too late. They are too late. So, so we know learning teams are amazing, particularly around events and around management of change, looking above that line. Right, and they're amazing. And, There's lots of context. And it's in using your language. Learning teams help the organization understand weak signals. However, to the members of the learning teams, these are not weak signals. No, they're everyday. Yeah, they're things. everyday work. Yeah, correct. But but of course, a learning team is still an intervention because it's something that's initiated by the organization. As, as of as of the result of some form of um, event-based or time-based... Curiosity. Activity. Could yeah. be an event, could be an accident, could be a operational... Yeah, could be a, a, curiosity. a new building change in process. Yeah, it's part of, part of their risk management. So what we're saying is that below that line, we have to provide a way of learning from below that line. But I, but I think the problem there is that they're using a learning team like a blunt instrument they're using it at chipping at the iceberg they're still not understanding what does the iceberg look like but can you know too much no you never can but i i think the issue here is todd is that it's still about they have a resource capability issue yeah 
So you can only do so many investigations. You can only do so many um, learning teams because you're limited by, ultimately by resource. And with the learning team, every time you are curious, you'll learn, that's guaranteed. So what we're trying to think about is how do we make that learning a bit more targeted? Or how do we take some of the noise out so that we're using the learning team um, to, to look at where the system is maybe not as robust or not as resilient as the organization thought. And now we're getting a little bit sexy. Oh, good. How to do that. And looking at the way we're doing it, and, and we talked about it in, in the original in the book, is by gaining operational business intelligent insight through worker engagement and narrative. So that seems very jargony to me. And I understand yes, that. Yes, it is. I, I'm, that seems like that could take one more level of translation. Keep that yes. and then push a button and, and, and the next thing sort of makes that more finite. Yeah. That what we're doing is really sensitizing to weak signals or learning earlier or whatever. Yeah, yeah. We're trying to, we're trying to, because in different circumstances, the weak signals might be a blip and they'll go away. Right. And they blip again and they go away. Right. I think what you're saying is beautiful. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just that saying gathering operational and business intelligent insights from worker engagement and narrative is something that you'd read on a quarterly report. Yes, yes, I, I, I agree. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying really what you're doing is you're creating this opportunity to not only improve learning, but to improve the timing of learning, right? A absolutely, to make it more visible. Yeah. Uh, we, 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 we've come up with four ways so far, and we're not suggesting that it will only be four ways, but we're doing four initial ways of doing that. And one of them is the project we're doing with, with Jeff, which is around the whole thing of four Ds. Dumb, four dangerous, Ds different, yep. and delightful. Difficult, all those things. Uh, around our step process, um, which, which is a pre-post daily job thing, this concept called routine work soap time. So routine work soap time. And then the last one is around defense capacity which is understanding why our controls are successful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Efficacy of defenses. Um, Efficacy, what does routine work soak time mean? Ah, so here's a, here's a new saying. Routine work is the killer of learning and the breeder of complacency. Yeah, that's, I'm, yeah. Routine, so I, would, I would say it the other direction. Routine, sure. work, routine work breeds complacency, which kills learning. Absolutely. And, and what we're saying there is when do workers find the time to reflect over routine work over a period of time? And, and the point behind that would be, well, there's two points. One is you cannot perform and learn at the same time. Yep. So when you're doing routine work, you're not thinking about learning from routine work because you're performing Correct. routine work. The other thing is that um, we don't build a time because it's routine work. We don't build a time for after action learning. We don't build a time for stock check. Yeah. I mean, we really don't build in soak time. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So, so that, that, that and they're the, the concepts at the moment. Yeah, I think this is good. You've definitely switched that around. That routine work yeah, breeds I'll, complacency I'll and kills around. learning. Yeah. 
it's it's more powerful and then the the ability then to tell them that routine work a hazard not a sin not a behavioral mm-hmm. weakness a hazard of routine work so the mm-hmm. risk lives in the work not in the worker is complacency Correct. and yeah. complacency and, and is what stops op- learning and there is an opportunity to learn <laughs> yeah over that that that's a really powerful little uh tidbit you're popping out there on on and, the top and, of that uh a really expensive watch of course we only do quality here yeah exactly <laughs> and, and the way that we're doing it is it's a reflective practice to look back over a period of time with workers to make that variability visible yeah, to learn from that's, that's good but the exercise with workers is for workers to learn. The narrative that we capture goes into the same business intelligence tool that the organization can then use to generate learning teams. So what do you think? I told you. It's really interesting. I, this, this, I've been thinking about this a lot ever since we had the conversation, and I've been actually really excited to get this podcast out for you. So chew it around. I mean, I'm not sure I have any answers. It's a little early to have answers, but I've thought about it a bunch and I'll continue to think about it a bunch. Have a great week. You guys, I'll miss you. I'm missing you even as we speak, but I'll see you Wednesday and maybe Saturday. And maybe you'll listen to me while you're on your bike ride. I'll be around. I'm there for you. I'm always there for you. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. That seems really important right now. I'm not flying, so I have the opportunity to be kind all the time now. That's really good. And uh, check in on one another, but most importantly, be safe.